Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome back, everybody, to Too Obscure for TV, a lovely little film cop podcast where we just check out some weird picks. It's a bunch of different things. Dean and I like movies, and I'm sure you do too, so why don't you come along with us and watch some crazy picks like the one we're going for this week, Suspiria, the 1977 horror great that has gone on to inspire many films after it, but has it aged quite well? We'll be going over that today with my lovely co-host, Dean. Hello. Say hello to the people. There he is in all his glory. Yeah, sure. Glory. We'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, so, Daria Argento, Jessica Harper in the titular role of Susie Banyan. That would later go on to have a remake two years ago. two thousand, Or I guess three years ago now, 2018. Oh, yeah. That's right. And they they somehow found an extra hour in this movie to, to put into that one. I don't know where the fuck they found an extra hour in this. Yeah. All right, because I'm be real with you. I love this movie. It is really pretty. It is really cool. It's a lot of style, but the pl- there's not a lot of plot here. No, this is very much a horror movie about feel and about scaring you, kind of in a classic way. I think that's how horror movies tended to start. Is that they were much more about like specifically focusing on moments of fear rather than slashers or or other genres that would come afterward that I think do kind of try and fit the plot in as a way to like mind fuck you or whatever you would want to call it. So we're getting a very raw, uncut version of horror here from the late 70s. Dean, why don't you give us a little bit rundown about what Suspiria is and what it's about? Because that's, that's a good place for people to start. If you haven't seen it yet, or if you have, we can review the, the glory that is Suspiria. Well, I'm going to start off with what is Suspiria. Because Suspiria is a supernatural horror film directed by Dario Argento. It is qualified as a giallo film. Which, giallo is this really weird category of Italian horror film. Revolves around very garish colors. It's a lot more about mood. And there's a lot of really good giallo horror flicks. They still make them today. It's one of those things that hasn't disappeared with age. It's just adapted. A good example is like Knife Plus Heart would be qualified as a giallo film. But this movie was one of those strange kind of things that was a financial winner, but really didn't hook on to the rest of the world for a couple of years. It became a cult classic, generally in like the 19... Late 1980s into the 1990s, it became a cult film. A lot of people still dig it. People still go to the theaters and see this on its re-releases. But yeah, uh, it was iconic enough to get a remake, as David kept pointing out. But now let's get into the actual plot of the movie. Because David, there's not a lot going on here, but there's shit happening. Yeah, it's definitely interesting for that. It clings on to like horror tropes. And I guess you couldn't really call it a trope because... This is probably one of the more original pieces to do certain things. But it's one of those movies that, in retrospect, I look back and I was at certain points of the plot and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess now that I know that that makes sense. And it was creepy at first. And I guess if I knew that, it would have helped. I don't know. It, it, the plot, like you said, is unique, is a good word to put it. Yeah. 
Well, let's just jump right in. Because the film starts with our lead character, Susie Bannon, played by Jessica Harper, being a young American ballet student arriving in Germany during the biggest fucking rainstorm on the planet that also plays weird synth prog rock music. What? You didn't like Goblin? What's wrong with you? I know I told myself I wouldn't interrupt you as much, but I'm already groaning through it because we'll get to the cutting of this movie later. And I know this is, again, the 1970s, so it's just a different era that we're existing inside of. But, yeah, Susie Bannon is trying to get a cab to go where, Dean? To the Tom's Dance Academy. And when she gets there, she sees another student, Pat, fleeing the school in fucking terror. And Susie thinks nothing of this and is like, man, that was strange. I'm going to try and go in. But they refuse her at the door and tell her to just find a place in town until tomorrow. And then we just go back to following Pat running through the fucking woods in the biggest rainstorm in Italy history. Come on, David. I'm holding my tongue. I can see it in your eyes. I know you just want to just start barking shit. This shit is ridiculous. I mean, okay. (laughs) This is going to open up a long line of David saying this shit is ridiculous throughout Suspiria. Now, I would like to preface this by saying I would still call this a pretty good movie that I would enjoy to watch again. But I would enjoy to watch it again because how fucking ridiculous is it that while she's, again, like you said, driving to whatever hotel that she's going to in the scene in the back of the cab and she sees this person screaming and running through these woods in the middle of the rainstorm that she's just kind of like, oh. And it goes back to whatever she was doing. There's just a lot of like, it's just fascinating. I don't know how to put my finger on it. It's just fascinating. I mean, we're not even 10 minutes in, by the way. That's true. So to move on. To move on, we follow Pat and Pat is it has now fleed and is taking refuge at her friend's apartment and while there a shadowy figure stabs the shit out of her Mm. and then drags her to the roof and then throws her through a stained glass window and then she gets hung so this killer kills her like in five different ways and then her friend she was at the apartment she was staying in is impaled by the shards of glass falling from the skylight and it's that's where it gets the horror movie title, right? And I'll admit, this is a pretty cool death. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's creative. And a lot of the deaths are. I think that, the, above all, this movie is certainly creative in being a horror movie. So, yeah, I, I was kind of locked in at this point. I was like, I'll be interested to see what else they do to torture these people. Hmm. Um, there are other things I'm less interested in, but, <laughs> you know. I just think it's weird that the that you only see the arm of the killer and it's this just weird hairy like werewolf arm with a knife yeah again let's run through the rest of the plot because i think it's one of those things where when we get to the end of the plot we'll be like oh Oh, yeah well the next thing that happens is it's the next morning Susie arrives at the dance studio where she meets mrs tanner and madame blanc they're the people who run this fucking academy And Tanner introduces Susie to her classmates, Sarah and Olga, her new roommates. And um, I just, okay, Olga and Sarah. I I remember Olga's first line that has been embedded into my brain forever. Susie and Sarah, 
That is the name of snakes. And then Olga, and then Sarah goes, Bleh. and then Olga goes, and Sarah goes, Bleh. and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, you know, I think I'm, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it out there now. I think I finally be able to define what would describe how I feel about some of this movie. You know how people sometimes look at the room and they're like, "What the fuck was he thinking when he made that?" Yeah. There's just certain things that happen in this movie that make me think of the room in that way, in a similar quality. And that's a good example where it's like, just that line is so like, who fucking thought of that? (laughs) Like, what? It's really weird. And also, Olga, I think this is her only scene, and she's set up as like this really important character, as like being an antagonist to Susie. And then she disappears from the rest of the movie. Yeah. We never never see her again. Never a thing. But besides the point, now we get to the weird shit where Susie goes to her first class and she starts feeling strange and she fucking faints. And when she regains consciousness, the doctor or whatever tells her, okay, you're going to have to, you know, drink this red wine and blah, 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 blah. And they set up that's like, oh, drinking this red wine is dangerous and shit because it looks like fucking blood, but whatever. And then we get to the the night where, as they're going to bed, maggots start raining down from the ceiling. And they find out it's because a shipment of food has rotted in the attic, and then they must spend the night sleeping together in the dance studio. Mm. Where we get to the most visually interesting part of this, where it's all, like, curtains lined up, and then there's the red fuck-me lights behind the curtains. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the red light district. Yeah. 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 And then this person comes in and lays down, and Sarah tells Susie that the person who just came in is laying down behind the curtain in that really creepy fuck-me silhouette. That's the, the school's headmistress, and she's spooky and evil because she breathes weird. Which we will later learn again exactly why (sighs) she's spooky and evil and breeze weird yeah so we now know that there's something weird going on there's maggots raining down from the ceilings people say weird shit which has absolutely honestly nothing to do with why people are saying weird shit uh from here things start to get especially odd for Susie, our main character who does feel a little bit like a conduit at times but what happens to Susie? Well, what happens to Susie is interesting because she starts, you know, taking her medicine and the red wine. She starts passing out at night. She stops being part of the plot for a little bit so we can have the blind pianist of the school get killed by his own German shepherd. And then we have Sarah who tells Susie she's going to find Pat's diary. That's going to explain why all this weird shit's going on. Sure. And then Sarah gets attacked by a knife-wielding, like, assailant or whatever that chases her through the school. And then Sarah escapes by jumping through a window into the largest collection of razor wire I have ever seen. So the killer can now slash her neck. Cool kill. Doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) Why is the razor wire in a dance studio? Or That's why what is, I want to know. What I want to know is when the architects were building this building, why did they build a room that was basically a vacuous pit meant to be filled with anything? That of choice was razor wire. But why was that factored into the design of the building in the first place? I don't know. 
this film is technically done as a soundstage of, of sorts or some sort of set. Uh huh. So yeah, that's the explanation. But all things said and done, it was it was delightful to watch the razor wire bit. It was. <laughs> She's just like writhing there, yelling, screaming, or whatever, and you're just like. I can't, it, I can't get it. Why is the razor wire? Why is there so much of it? On top That's of the fact I, that it basically looks like a pool of slinkies, it doesn't even really look like razor wire. It's just delightful. It's it, just enjoyable. And this is this is after she like gets scared by the guy and falls into a window and then rolls and then falls into a second window that is next to it and then runs out the door. Yeah. It's Which, all, it looks to me like she fell back and was supposed to hit both windows and break them. But she missed the second one, so she just rolled off and hit it again and then left the scene, and they didn't reshoot it. Yeah, because it's also, she's not bloody when she's rolling into the windows, but immediately afterward, blood is all of a sudden all over her. I love it. I love it. We'll get to, we'll we'll go through further later why I specifically like the production of this. But, so we, our our friend, uh, Sarah, Sarah, is now Along dead and gone and, and cut up to pieces. And Susie wakes up and everybody tells her that Sarah just left in the night. You know, she's no longer there. Which is technically true. Technically true. But Susie is suspicious. Haha, Nancy Drew showing up here. Mm. So she contacts Sarah's friend and former psychiatrist, Frank Mandel. And he reveals that the school was established by a Greek witch. And this has the worst dubbing job I've ever seen in my life. Because I know what Udo Kerr sounds like, and he does not sound like an American at all. Most of the dubbing in this movie is also bad when it's literally the actor's voice. It's just ADR most of the movie. Uh-huh. And they this was like, I think, probably before they really nailed down how to do ADR and, and get coverage to work with ADR. Which is fine, because again, it's like it's it makes it's another thing that makes this movie a little bit not admirable, but like you, you want to just warm up cozy to the, this movie and be like, "You're so cute for what you're trying to do." <laughs> well, that's the problem because it's like an Italian horror film, and Italian films are notorious for having really shitty dubbing. Yeah, like notorious for it, like really badly. And for this movie, it's really bad because the actors were told to just speak their native language, and then they'll just redub them in English later. So Jessica Harper is an American actress, but the people she's talking to are speaking either German or Italian. Yeah. So it's one of those things like Udo Kier, I he speaks English. I know he does, but I think they just didn't want him to have the accents. Who knows what they wanted, frankly. But, but y- besides y- the point. Besides the point, we now know that there are witches involved, which does inform. Again, this is where I was starting to be like, oh. I get it. (laughs) The witch bitch is on the loose. But Susie, realizing witches are on the loose, returns to school. And she finds that everyone has left to attend the ballet. And Susie, realizing something is amiss, throws away her tainted food. And is then attacked by a bat. And after she kills the bat, she follows strange footsteps into Madame Blanc's office. And there she finally remembers the words that Pat was screaming into the storm as she was running away, which was Secret and Iris. So then she fucks with a thing on the wall and it opens up this room, the secret entrance. Right. When Susie enters, she finds that the academy instructors 
are plotting her demise in the form of a human sacrifice. And Susie, realizing this, she goes to hide in the alcove and finds Sarah's destroyed fucking corpse just chilling there. Yep. So this is where the plot happens, right? This is where things come together. It's where things are together. It does come together, I'll admit. It's like, one, again, like I was saying, once we get the whole exposition that there are witches involved and there's a long history of them and that is what is informing a lot of the mysterious mysticism that is happening slightly out of our point of view, it does start to be like, oh, so now the horror is informed by some sort of exposition and now I'm like... I think that's one tenet of horror that kind of works for itself is when you have rules in a movie and the audience can then be like, I'm scared for what will happen next based on uh, those rules. I think... That's one thing that the movie maybe was done better in the the remake. I have not seen the remake, but this is just like me theorizing that maybe they set up some of these things early on so that you're kind of left to be like, oh, she's marching around the school full of witches. Most of the movie, not she's marching around this really weird ballet academy that she, she should honestly just leave. I don't know why she doesn't just leave. <laughs> I mean, that, what happened to Pat? She left and she got got. It happens. I guess so. I mean... All that aside, yeah, we start to really get into the thick of things here with Susie, who is battling a coven. Of lots of witches. And it's good that this is happening, because we only got like 20 minutes of movie left. Mm. So, Susie retreats into the headmistress's room. Helena Marcos, the, the head witch, right? And Susie finds that Marcos, the witch, has rendered herself invisible. And is taunting Susie before she reanimates Sarah's mutilated corpse to murder the shit out of her. Which is pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. It, it is a pretty thing. cool visual. I really like it. Yeah. But then lightning happens, revealing where Marcos's is, and Susie stabs the fuck out of her like a like this is a prison hit, right? With a bit of glass, Marcos dies, and the corpse vanishes. Then Susie flees the building as it erupts into flames, killing everybody inside. You know, it's kind of funny, because I read a little bit of the plot synopsis on Wikipedia before getting into this movie. Uh-huh. Just to kind of, like, I knew it was going to be a quality of this movie that I was going to have a hard time understanding it at some point, you know? Mm. It's just kind of par for the course for movies at the middle of the century. Sometimes you need a little bit of help. Sometimes you need a little bit of, what the fuck's going on? Oh, okay. And even after reading that plot summary... I started to, like, see the movie in my head. I was like, oh, some cool shit's gonna happen. Like, the school burning down at the end. And it was still something where it was like, wait, who set the school on fire? Oh, right, witches. And that's kind of how I feel about the whole movie, is it is, oh, right, witches. <laughs> the fucking witch bitches showed up. It happens. Yeah, it's the loosest set of rules. But it's, like, filled in by... I'm not... I am not disappointed by uh, Jessica Harper's performance at all, but I do think the character was designed a bit for us to, it to be more of an audience surrogate than an actual character for us to be like, you know. Well, I actually have a point about that, because do you know anything about like the production of this, like the script writing or anything like that? I am completely uneducated, Dean. Why don't you give me the, give me the school? Okay, because... Dario Argento originally envisioned this as taking place in a girls ballet academy where it's right. like young girls, like between the ages of like 
12 to 16 kind of thing where it was like supposed to be like children but the producer is like hey there's no fucking way you're letting kids get murderized like this that's just just not happening yeah it was pretty it would be pretty jarring for that so argento was like fine we'll up the ages of everybody but he didn't change the script at all okay so i think that's why jessica harper seems so kind of naive a little bit and also why olga talks so strangely because she sounds like a like a little kid you know Susie and sarah that's s names and those are the names of snakes like that's a that's something like a 12 year old or a 13 year old would think of as like a a a badass line as a put down kind of it it definitely makes me understand more specifically the character of Susie banyan she's been sent from new york where she's gonna go to this academy blah 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 I think there are still things that work with them being adults, such as the fact that in the beginning, Pat goes to the apartment of this other ballet player, where if they were kids, that'd be a little weird that a kid has an apartment. All that aside, I don't know. I mean, like, this movie is very much caught between being so convoluted and also... It's incredibly simple. Yeah, in in its most simplest parts, they all work. They all fit together. Like, okay, we go to school... She's basically being, like, zombified by the witches so that they can, like you said, the sacrifice and they get her life blood force or whatever the fuck. It makes sense. It's, like, a it's a pretty common story. And all of it coming together in the end that we get this, like, in the beginning when we get this, like, scraggly, crusty, hairy arm. It's the arm of Marcos or, or whatever the fuck the name is, uh, who's the head witch and she's been, like, trying to keep things at bay so we can still harvest the lifeblood force of young ballet players, dancers. I mean, you know, it happens. Yeah. There's part of me that feels like this would have taken place in just like a girl's school and it would have made sense. Like a general... Like a girl's boarding school or something? You know what would... A girl's like Catholic school would have made complete sense because then adding like the religious bent to the whole witches thing would have kind of made it come together because especially it being catholicism if it's italian because they reference like exorcisms and poltergeists a few times in the movie which are still tenets of italian catholicism in more classical senses but we get a lot of this interesting ballet visuals which is there so eh, i'm not gonna complain i guess you know it happens yeah i mean i just really dig I just think I really just dig Jessica Harper because she's one of these actresses looking at her would have been perfect in like that 80s slasher genre stuff. Like, because she's one of these people who's like really small, kind of like really petite, but she has like this face that looks like she can handle anything. I'm really confused how she wasn't just in more horror films. Yeah, there's a particular actress. Let me see if I can uh, look up the cast of a movie and see right now. But there's an actress... That she reminds me of uh, Karen Allen from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Kind of a similar face. Kind of, and as as a result, Karen Allen has that attitude that I think you, you're talking about where she can handle anything. Mm-hmm. And um, I could kind of see that. I think what I would have just liked more of is like a reason Susie Bannon needs to be at this academy. You know, like this specific one. What's the, what's the thing? Because other than that, it is kind of like a... It's a very prestigious international ballet academy. Yeah, 
and maybe there's just like she's there's a specific thing that she needs to compete for so but again this is me asking of this of a 50 year old movie so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna come out with it and say overall for 1977 quite impressive what I what I will say is like a back half criticism of the movie, which isn't really a criticism per se, but one thing that I'm like, that's kind of funny. I looked at a lot of the effects and I was like, I feel like that, like the bat scenic, for example. Yeah. Basically something we could do right now. Like if we went to Party City, we, we could set that scene up. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. And I think that's kind of an interesting benefit of this movie is that some parts of it look really cheap and kind of cheesy. Like, let's be honest here. Like, the bat is obviously, like, a rubber toy. They bought it at a 99 cent store. Yeah. And it's still kind of effective because the movie <laughs> makes you... For me, it is because the movie makes you buy into it. Because everything is already really weird. The co- Like, it's this really vibrant, super colorful kind of horror film everybody is kind of acting weird anyway and when the bat shows up i'm like oh yeah bat shows up it's whatever it looks kind of cheesy but i buy into it yeah the the bad effects don't pull me out of it they just make me love this movie more i would agree with that statement they don't pull me out of it but do i do i buy like into my particularly terrified by that that bat no and i think that just has to do with the fact that in our year of the lord 2021 we're spoiled by CG, so things just look more realistic. So there's a little bit of a desensitization there, where I'm sure to audiences in 1977, they were like, <laughs> you know, it's like it, it was probably insane. But or in general too, other kills in this movie, those are what I believe in. Like that first bit when you see the the shots of them being impaled, I believe those because that's actual like vicious, like it it, it it's pretty brutal. That the woman was impaled by, like, window panes. Yeah. From her friend getting thrown through and hung from, like, a telephone wire. Yeah. Like, it's it's a pretty... that The opening of this is really good. And, you know, another thing I'll use to its benefit that I do think works is how liminal a lot of the, the sets look. Where it's creepy because it's, like, old European geometric design. Like, the staircase in specific in that scene, where they're at the apartment complex, the one that, like, goes two different ways. Oh, um, yeah, that big grand staircase thing. Just, like, the design of it is off-putting. It feels, like, just left of reality, you know what I mean? Well, the whole dance studio feels like that. All the hallways, everything just seems so weird and kind of off. I noticed this, and this is... Back to the thing that Argento wanted this to be for, like, little kids to be in this. Did you notice the doorknobs? How they were all in, like, specific spots? Well, how they were all at, like, eye level for the adult actresses to make it look like they were little kids. And I'm like, I... (laughs) Granted, it's one of those weird things where it's like, I get it. It's it's fucking dumb. But it makes everything feel so off-putting because everything just feels just weird. Because yeah. I've seen doors like that where it's, yeah, the doorknob's just, like, a way higher than it should be. But it's just really awkward, like, juxtaposed to everything else in there. Like, the movie has a lot of atmosphere that's really creepy that I really dig. Yeah, it's almost like falling accidentally into this, like, German expressionist horror. Which, when those things were, like, exaggerated for the purpose of making the viewer be at ease, or at unease, that is... 
and it works. It, it does work because a lot of the sets are creepy in that way. Um, it also makes me wonder, like, what the solution was going to be. Again, knowing that he wanted to, at times, make them seem like kids. When there are ballet dancers that just have full-on chest hair on <laughs> But, you know, that, that's neither here nor the, the other thing. I mean, there's a lot about this that's like... it. You know, it, it's kind of funny, because I could see... I, I don't know who did the remake, um, but I could see a version of this done by Guillermo del Toro with the kids. It's halfway between like Devil's Backbone and like Pan's Labyrinth. It actually, that would be really interesting to actually see Guillermo del Toro make a Suspiria film. That'd be kind of fucking lit. Because that's the other thing is this movie's. I expected this movie to be a lot more like blue, you know, a, a more adult themed in a certain sense, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. And I was like, oh, this really is just about gore and or witches, which makes sense again with the whole children thing in mind, but seems easily translatable to make it again with children. Okay, because you noticed how like Olga disappears like really quickly in the movie, right? And there's another character, Daniel, that's set up as a love interest that disappears right away. Yeah. And I feel like because this was made I feel like there was supposed to be that thing you were saying, like, this is supposed to be a little bit more blue. Like, we probably should have had, like, the love interest Daniel and him and Susie having, like, a thing. And that probably would have made this a little bit more, like, adult-themed. But then it got pulled out. It's really weird. It feels like this movie is halfway committed to something and then just pulls back and goes in a different direction. But it's not bad, because it still works. It's just kind of confusing. And also that razor wire sequence is just something else. It's too good. Best kill of Too Obscure so far. Oh, yeah. That's a good segue into what I think I would take away from this movie and why I would find it enjoyable to watch again is ultimately it teaches me that, yes, horror films are about set pieces. Like, whether it's this movie or a more calculated old horror movie like Psycho, ultimately both those are still about getting to their set piece kills. Whether it's the shower kill in Psycho or the razor wire or being impaled by window panes or whatever in this movie. Ultimately, those are the best parts of the movie and the reason people go to see them is they just want to get those real good scares in. And and stuff in between, it's just, it could be just filler to get you in between those things. But the audience wants to be wowed and they want to be surprised. And that's one thing that I do think Suspiria does well for itself. Even if, in our, you know, 50 years later, it's for different reasons. <laughs> It's something. I mean, I think I should really dig this movie. I think this movie's just fun. And also, the movie really digs on atmosphere and tension. There's so many hushed conversations, a very serious subject matter in this movie. They're certainly acted hushed, but the ADR does not make them hushed. <laughs> Doesn't help. Yeah. No. You know, all in all, something to enjoy. I think this is certainly a... It's on a lot of best horror movie lists, It's something that if you need something to watch in the middle of this spooky season, go watch it because it's it's entertaining all the way through. It Uh, really is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely creepy based on what we described. We don't do it total justice. And I'm kind of interested to see what the remake is looking like. So maybe that's a good segue into like, Dean, what are you going to watch next? Because that's one thing I'm going to be checking out. I mean, honestly, I'll probably join you in that one. I am interested in what the remake actually did differently. 
And I'm wondering if they finished off like the loose plot lines in this one. Like yeah. I'm wondering if that's where they got the extra hour. To yeah, be honest, an hour's a lot of fucking time. So I'd be interested to see where they get that. Unless they just go full on Mandy and just spend a lot more time in that like psychedelia expressionism abstract whatever the fuck yeah i mean who knows who knows well what what a lovely little entry dean thank you for introducing this to me i like suspiria it's a good movie but uh david i think it's your turn to bring something to the table what do you want to watch next week well i'm i'm challenging you dean because a little bit ago and i mentioned him earlier this episode panos cosmatos of which we mentioned his film mandy which was fantastic. We we reviewed this on our Nicolas Cage episode, um, focusing more on Cage himself. But I've been kind of interested in diving to Cosmato's first piece, Beyond the Black Rainbow. So there we go. I think that's going to be what we do next week, is we're going to take a little bit of a peek at Beyond the Black Rainbow and a little bit more of this anti-psychedelia that's going on with, with Cosmatos. Um, I'm just interested to see what stopped him from having more of a career, you know? Because he does have quite a length of time between Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy, of which he didn't work on very much, to my knowledge. And he seems like a director that would have a lot more promise. I mean, I think the only thing he's working on right now is an anthology piece for a Guillermo del Toro thing. But, I mean, it's really weird, because he's one of these directors who I would want to have, like, a you know, a lot of a career where he just makes a movie every couple of years, but I don't know. We're going to, we're going to figure it out. But yeah, I'm hyped. Beyond the Black Rainbow. Have you ever, you you know nothing about that movie, right? I know basically what it's about and I have not seen it yet. So that's going to be what we're going to be doing on next week on Too Obscure for TV, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, until then, you can find us wherever you can listen to these podcasts and i'm sure you're finding us on one of those places right now that including spotify google podcasts others of which you can find on our anchor.fm link as well as our all of our back episodes you can also find us on youtube at in the frame we post this as well as other podcasts namely that dean helms along with people like his brother and his girlfriend what are those podcasts dean again well, we have the Film Club Podcast, where me and my girlfriend talk about some of our favorite movies, some more nostalgia movies, movies that come up a lot in, like, anniversary stuff. They're really fun, very loose, and very easy listening conversations. And then the Film Odyssey, which I do with my brother, we are going through the AFI 100, talking about each film in tandem, how they relate to each other, why they're good, and if they still hold up, because some of them don't really hold up all that well upon re-examination but that's what's going on over there go check it out on in the frame our youtube channel sounds pretty good and until next time dean this has been too obscure for tv signing off peace see ya